Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Hello, I'm Bill Hendricks, the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And I want to welcome you to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to have back in uh, the table with me, uh, Wayne Walker, the founder and executive director for Our Calling Ministry here in Dallas, and Our Calling Pastors and Disciples, those who are homeless in the Dallas area. Wayne, welcome back to the table. It's, it's always a delight to, to be with you. Well, thanks for having me. It's a little bit different table today, but it's so good to, to chat with you again. It is a different table. We're obviously not in studio, and uh, we, Wayne and I are recording this uh, about two months into the shelter-in-place orders here in Dallas uh, in, in connection with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And that puts a, a finer point on everything we have talked about in our previous podcast, Wayne. Uh, obviously, almost overnight, 30 million people in America are now out of work. Many of them were already living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, according to the city of Dallas, uh, and this was again before this whole crisis, more than 300,000 Dallas residents live in poverty, and almost 600,000, the city says, live in housing distressed households, as they call them. And meanwhile, there are only 2,000 beds in Dallas shelters. So it doesn't take too much to do the math to figure out that uh, even on a, a normal day, whatever that used to be, uh, there were a lot of people who had nowhere to go. Um, you're on the front lines with that. And I guess I'd want to ask, how has the COVID-19 crisis intensified what you're seeing from the standpoint of working with the homeless on the streets of Dallas? Well, the numbers that you shared are obviously pre-COVID. Um, Dallas already had the highest homeless population of any city in the southern U.S., hmm. Um, we already have the highest growth rate in unsheltered homelessness and uh, just about anywhere in the country. Uh, I think we're at the top 90, 95%. Um, you know, we have, we do, we did have 300,000 people below the poverty line. And now we have, you know, as of yesterday, it was reported, we have about 14, 15% unemployment. That means in the Metroplex, when we have 7 million people living in the Metroplex, one in seven are unemployed. Wow. It doesn't take much math to figure out what one in seven of seven million looks like, right? So we are having uh, unprecedented poverty growth and un homeless growth in the community. We already had about 10,000 people experiencing homelessness and 2,000 shelter beds. So we already had an inventory problem. Now that evictions have been uh, lifted, the stay on evictions have been lifted and, and people are starting to get evicted which people have been being evicted this whole time. Right. Slumlords didn't get the note. They're not supposed to evict people. So we've seen a lot of people have been evicted out of, you know, pay to stay motels or slumlord type in engagements. Wow. And so normally we would see about seven new people a day. That's kind of the average pre COVID. And now we're sometimes 30 to 40 new people a day that are coming in. And it's, it's not just, uh, you know, the guy with the backpack and the, you know, the big beard, it's families that live in homes. It's families that live in cars. And we have families that, you know, come to us just to eat. Uh, the grocery stores, you know, some of them are having trouble keeping their shelves full. But if you don't have a job right now, if you don't have 
cash. There's no way, you know, you can afford just to feed your family. Food banks are running out of food. And so we're, we're anticipating a depression era type level of poverty, a tsunami, if you will, uh, that of course none of us have ever seen. Well, I know some families, uh, at least the children were getting, uh, lunches from schools and, and some of them even backpacks from schools, but in an interest of trying to contain the, the spread of the virus, uh, many of those programs have been curtailed significantly. Uh, I suppose some maybe even have been eliminated. And I, I think about that, you know, for, for a child uh, who gets a backpack from school, particularly on a weekend, for many families, that, that was like the only food coming home. And you take that away. And I, I, my mind just goes blank thinking, well, what do these folks do? Yeah, so Dallas already has one of the highest childhood poverty rates in the nation. When you talk about kids, um, we have about five, four to 5,000 kids in Dallas Independent School District that are known to be homeless. Right. And then we expect the number to actually be two to three times that size because most kids don't want you to know that they're homeless, so the unknowns. And we have some of the highest rates of what's called Title I schools so that kids can't afford meals at school so they've made all the meals free and they've done this for years and then like you said they give them uh, you know sustenance to take home so they can eat over the weekend because they get breakfast and lunch at school no dinners well now some of the nonprofits have tried to figure out you know can we can we set up in the school parking lot and have the kids still bring a backpack we can fill up or give them boxes of food a lot of nonprofits and churches are trying to figure out how to support this but at the same time uh, a lot of nonprofits have shut their doors because of stay in shelter in place. Hmm. A lot of these organizations are volunteered by an elderly group. You know, you've got right. retirees that volunteer right. at a food pantry at the church so that they can't open it up. Right. Um, and so some of the service arms that you would think are there to catch people when they fall, some of those arms are, you know, disabled right now as well. And yeah. Dallas is pretty interesting. Dallas is a tale of two cities. I want to be clear, you understand this. We have 300,000 people living below the poverty level, right? right. We also have 300,000 millionaires, mm. right, in Dallas. Extreme. Right? So we've got this weird uh, place, and it's really an opportunity for those that have to step up and to, to support the organizations. Um, I know, like, you know, right now for us, we need 150 pounds of meat a day. And finding meat is really, really difficult and uh, trying to find those basic sustenance resources and just the life sustaining stuff. You know, right. most of the time we're focused on life giving, you know, evangelism, discipleship, yeah. worship right. and growing right. in your relationship with the Lord, addiction recovery, all that stuff. Right now, we really have to focus on life sustaining. Yeah, right? we're is down to survival eating? for many. Aren't yeah, we? survival mode. Sure. Is, is the problem with the food that we simply don't have the food or is it a supply chain issue? Or both? It, it's a little bit of both. You know, the, the, a lot of the meatpacking plants were shut down because of lots of COVID spread. Yeah. But nonprofits like us, we would get pallets of food every week. Normally, we would get about 12,000 pounds, about six tons of food a week pre-COVID donated to us from the box stores. So Sam's Club, would, you know, we'd pick up about 16 pallets a week. Um, but if you go to the stores and they're out of meat, Right. They don't have anything extra to give. And uh, so a lot of the excess that we would get, the bulk uh, donations when they're flipping their inventory, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff doesn't come to us. Same thing with restaurants. So, so many restaurants are closed right now. Right. 
yeah. that they don't have any excess they could give us. Um, we had some of them give us their inventory and clear out their freezers. Um, but so then for us, we've got a, another inventory problem. So if someone were to come to us right now and say, hey, I want to give you guys five pallets of chicken, we have nowhere to put it. So we've had to rent a uh, like this huge uh, shipping container freezer. We've ordered a new walk-in freezer to go outside. And, you know, when we can get food, we have to take it because we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And every day we cook here, it's kind of like there's a TV show, uh, you know, my kids love to watch called Chopped where, you know, the, the chef opens a basket and has surprise ingredients and has to figure out what to cook, <laughs> what to make with that. That's every day here, right? We have no idea what's going to be donated, no idea what we're going to be cooking tomorrow. And it's just really a, it's, it's almost a George Mueller moment where we pray, Lord, we don't have X. And then, you know, the, the truck breaks down in front of the orphanage. And then they said, Hey guys, I, uh, true story. My kitchen manager came to me one day and said, Hey Wayne, I want you to know we're out of meat and we're going to be out of meat in about a day. And an hour later, I'm, I'm sitting in, in the office by myself. I'm praying about it. And I get a text uh, and I'm really praying and the text kind of alerts me. And I look at the text and it says, Hey Wayne, do you guys need any meat? Wow. Right. From somebody that has never, you know, somehow is connected to someone who has a bunch of meat. So it's trusting the Lord every day to see how can we pay the bills, how can we feed the folks, and uh, how to keep our keep things rolling. So you're right there on the front lines, but let me then backtrack, if I could, the spiritual supply chain, if I could put it this way, because you've mentioned the churches and you've mentioned, um, in the case of the 300,000 millionaires in, in the Dallas area, uh, Metroplex. Um, yeah, I know some of those folks are, are stationed at place. They're, they're, they're looking out on the world. They're, they're obviously have their own businesses, investments, and so forth that they're tending to, but they realize that a lot of people are in a very, very bad way, and they're, and they're people of faith. And, and they're thinking, okay, what can I do? You know, what, what's going to be really most effective? And, uh, and so what would be your recommendation? Obviously, they can write a check, write all kinds of checks. Um, is that really the most needed? Or, you know, physically, is there anything they can do? Or practically, do they, you know, some of these folks, you mentioned you have needs for certain kind of foodstuffs. I mean, do they have either through their own business or through their network? You know, well, I know a guy. Let me call that guy and see what he knows. And, well, I, I think that, that that question that you're asking is vital. Um, when someone assumes they know what you need and they show up with that, and right. that's really not what you need, it creates another problem, right? We create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. It creates a new problem. I'll give you an example. So recently, a church in the area brought like 6,000 peanut butter and jellies to one of our partners. We couldn't give them out fast enough because the bread was getting soggy and mushy. And, you know, by the time you're, you've gone through three or 4,000, you, you literally have to throw a couple thousand of those away. I went to a church one time and uh, this is a couple years ago and they had, they were so proud. They had raised all this money to buy us blankets and I, they invite me on stage for the pastor to show me and they had the whole stage full of these blankets. It was like this wall of blankets, a uh, great wall of blankets, I guess. And, you know, they were praying over them and dedicating them. We're going to give them to the homeless. The pastor reaches in, grabs one out of the box. And when he opens it and holds it up, it was a baby blanket. It went like from his elbows to his belly. And that was it. And he was, you know, embarrassed on stage. And they had 3,000 baby blankets to give us. Um, you know, 
that's exactly what people need to do. They need to call nonprofits that they know, nonprofits that they can trust, uh, you know, nonprofits that are, you know, I guess a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, or they're already connected to big churches in the area, you know, um, and say, what is it specifically that you need? Because, you know, sometimes we need volunteers. So we, we weren't taking volunteers for a few weeks. Now we are taking volunteers and everybody gets checked every day and temps and stuff. Um, but those specific questions of, you know, do you need money for a new freezer? Do you need money for food? Do you need money for staff? Um, you know, that, that question, and there is different ways people can get involved. And unfortunately, the nonprofits are so busy right now that they probably don't have time to knock on your door as much as they do to answer the call and answer the door. Right. Um, you know, I've had some donors show up and say, Hey, I, I'm looking around watching what you guys are doing. I know you're busy. We just want to bless you. We want to support you. Um, right now we're hiring, right? We have five positions open because we have to quickly expand our staff hmm. um, so yeah. that we can meet the need we're sending. So we work with the CDC and FEMA and the County and all these other groups all the time. And, and originally the CDC said, don't do street outreach, just stop it completely. And then a couple weeks later, they said, okay, you guys have to do street outreach. Well, we do the most street outreach and so in the county. So a lot of the agencies are kind of looking for us to set procedures and protocols. And so we came up with this process and, you know, we know we need to send teams all over the city. And the reality is we have, you know, hundreds of people coming to our facility every day. We can't just take our staff and send them out. So We've got some out, but we're trying to hire for these street outreach teams to be able to go. And so what you're saying is important when someone, you know, were to call and say, what do you need? Well, right now I need, I need to be able to afford to hire a staff member that can go out on the street or I need to be able to afford vehicle expenses for street outreach teams. And those specific needs uh, have to be communicated as well. So for a nonprofit, you know, that's watching this, you know, your donors need to know. So I created a YouTube channel uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and I'm kind of documenting on a regular basis of what we're doing, how we're doing it, why it matters, what our needs are, what's going on. And, uh, you know, we're sending out tons of messages back and forth, but that takes a lot of time as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like any organization, we need some administrative help. We need some operational help. Um, we do need people to volunteer. We do need, and, and, you know, anybody watching this in your neighborhood, you've got organizations that need you to volunteer yes. and, and they need you to give as well. I know many churches are, are struggling right now because they haven't been passing a plate and they're trying to figure out how to, how to pay their bills. And, and yes, a practical way to, is to give, but I would encourage anybody interested in supporting a local organization to first call and say specifically, how can I help? Ask before you give. Yes. Yeah, we don't need a thousand baby blankets. Give intelligently is what you're saying. Yeah. And prayerfully. You know, uh, what you're describing sounds so utterly practical to me. And it, it takes me back to uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Um, people had nowhere to go. And the next largest uh, metroplex was due west, and it was Dallas, Fort Worth. And so this, this massive wave of humanity uh, rapidly swept in from the east and uh, literally in a weekend besieged Dallas. And uh, I, I know many churches stepped up. In fact, from my point of view, that was in a way the church's finest hour in, in Dallas in my lifetime's memory, where uh, I know of one church where a group of people in the church came to the church offices. This was a large church, a multi-staff church, but they came to the church offices and they said, 
give us some offices and they commandeered about four offices and set up a command center there. And they began to work logistics and arrangements and plans and strategies that from a human point of view, you know, sort of have nothing to do with pastoral kind of work. It was very practical work. They, they, uh, they found, uh, they decided that they were going to try to focus their efforts on 400 families, 400 Katrina families. Uh, and this had to do with how many giving units were in the church and so forth. But they said, we could take 400. And so they found places to live for these families. They uh, helped them get uh, uh, clothing and supplies, you know, just the basics of, of living. Because these people, their homes were gone. They're now living in Dallas, at least temporarily. Uh, through the summer, they helped get their kids enrolled in school. They helped show them where the where the grocery stores were, where the banks were, where the you know uh, other amenities are, uh, how to how to use the public transit and so forth. And uh, and they raised a ton of money. I think it was uh, about a, a million dollars within a week. They had raised to help you know fund this thing. And this was all done by people who were not ordained clergy. And I think, okay, here we are in this hour, and we got a lot of people in our culture who are, who are in a really bad way, but those are very practical needs, and it seems like the gifts and the talents and the resources of the body of Christ can be very practical at this point. And yeah, those practical skills, um, unfortunately, people that are ordained and have a seminary degree probably don't have the capacity or the experience to run a business. Correct. Right. So the, right. so the best people to do that, um, to do the logistics and bring people together, often not those, you know, that have a degree hanging on their wall. I, I remember um, I started to get a little emotional when you were talking about Katrina. I walked into the registrar's office as a student at Dallas seminary and uh, canceled all my classes the day wow. Katrina hit. Hmm. I walked in there and I said, I'm done. I'm out. Uh, I'll be, I'll be back next semester. Mm. And uh, my wife and I kind of just took off and uh, uh, you know, we had people help watching our kids and, and uh, you know, we were at the convention center every day uh, working with people there. And then finally uh, uh, we had a church uh, approach me and said, Hey, um, you know, you're doing outreach with the homeless here in Dallas. Can you go help down there? And um, I said, yeah, I need, I need some money. I need some people. So I walked into home Depot that day and spent $10,000 on generators and, chainsaws and took a team of people from Northwest Bible Church. And we went for a couple of weeks and started this exchange where we were sending teams down there to help and work in the community. It's that operational organizational structure that's needed yes. right now. So, yes. you know, for example, if I have to exegete a passage, I, I got a degree that says that, right? Your dad taught me Bible study <laughs> methods, right? Um, yes. But what, what I don't have is someone that can network with food processors and find, hey, who's got some extra meat? So it's exactly those kind of logistical challenges that we're going to have when, you know, if, if you anticipate, and honestly, I anticipate up to 10,000 people becoming homeless in Dallas in the next six months. Wow. Um, you know, we're watching all the markers around here. We're, we're looking at the numbers and the data and, you know, it's, it's, it, what we're seeing is really, really scary. So if your churches know, and this is really relevant to anybody listening to this, if your church knows that some portion of your body is going to be suffering, struggling financially, then right now you need to be coming up with a plan, a team of people to organize and structure around the benevolence needs you have people in your church that have lost their job. 
You have people in your church who's, whose grown children have lost their jobs, right? So you have some boomers who uh, maybe they're fine, but their grown children have lost their jobs. And now they're trying right. to figure out how to support them. Right. You know, it's, it's bringing those people together. They can put, um, you know, who, who can help distribute food, who can help them with transportation, who can watch their kids while they go look for another job. It's those logistical things where every person that God's created has the gift. Every single one of us, God has blessed with some kind of talent and skill. And when you are using that talent, it is nothing less than worship. Amen. Nothing less than worship. And some people worship with a guitar. Some people worship through giving. Some people worship by being a businessman and, and connecting people and, and bringing those things together and making it happen, being a counselor and listening to someone or being a comforter and um, you know, bringing all those skills together and everybody's worshiping together, then it's like the body of Christ is this orchestra, right? With Jesus as the conductor. And, and it's a beautiful image of however you're skilled and gifted, the body of Christ needs you now more than ever. One of the uh, ways to think about poverty is that poverty, as much as anything else, uh, has to do with access or the lack thereof. You know, you, you think about people on the street, you know, they, they obviously lack uh, access to housing. Uh, they lack access to a lot of other things. Um, I mean, even information, I know in many parts of Dallas, uh, this was a shock to me when I actually learned this from uh, uh, Reed Porter, whose name you may know over at Advocates for Community Transformation. I talked to him on the phone two days ago. Sure, <laughs> he's a good friend, and and they were relo- They were opening a new office in in South Dallas because they've expanded down there. And ACT, by the way, for our listeners, um, they are what amounts to a, a legal service uh, to uh, poor communities, impoverished communities, where drug houses, crack houses, uh, have become very problematic in a given neighborhood such that it reduces the quality of life as well as the safety of the community. And uh, they have a whole team of people who uh, will use laws on the existing laws in the books to get these situations redressed. Either landlords clean up the properties and kick out the drug dealers, or they get a judgment from the city and the house gets torn down and somebody comes and builds a a new house and a family moves in and they've, they've upgraded the quality of life in the neighborhood and they've had a fantastic track record in, in doing that. So they're, they're sort of allies with you, Wayne, in, in trying to be life-giving to communities here in the Dallas area. But they were expanding into South Dallas and, and to my shock, I found out that there are many parts of South Dallas you can't get internet service. Um, they simply have not wired up the neighborhoods which when you're trying to put an office in like ACT was, that, that was a problem. And they looked high and low to find buildings where they had internet access. And I thought, well, how do you live in this day and age? You know, if you have a house, if you have an apartment, but how do you live without internet? I mean, how would you, how, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a Zoom call. I, I suppose <laughs> on an iPhone you might, but. Uh, How about I order Uber Eats, you know, if I get exactly. internet yet? Well, you know, so the city of Dallas has had to create internet in South Dallas for kids yeah, for school exactly. right now. They've had to bring hotspots in. I think they're putting up some cell towers for but that. If you, don't have the, you don't have access to information, good access to information, yep. which means you're, you're ripe for a lot of, you know, 
innuendo and rumors and and uh, and lies. I mean, things that just aren't true, and and that leads to all kinds of problems. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. On this podcast, obviously, uh, you're talking to a lot of people, Wayne, who have access. You know, they they have had great jobs and they may be out of work now, but I mean, they they uh, they know people and they have access to information. They have access to networks of relationships. And it seems like that's a very powerful thing that could be leveraged on behalf of the people that you're trying to work with who don't have access. Tell us a little bit about how that could work. So... Uh We've built a couple of apps. I used to be a software guy, and um, we built a couple of apps to really help us help the homeless. And one of the apps we built is our calling app. You just download it off the app store. Probably can't see it on my phone here. Uh, but it's nationwide, and it, you open it up, and you can say, where's the closest food pantry? Where's the closest domestic violence center? Where's the closest shelter? The reason why we put this together is because specifically in Dallas, and then it kind of grew nationwide, you have that exact problem. You have someone has a need and then someone who has a resource to meet that need and the distance between them is a chasm that just can never be you know, crossed. And helping someone find the resources they need is really challenging. And so we, we built an app and most of the people using it are Android users. There's a lot of government programs where phones are, are given away and they're all cheap Androids. And, um, you know, people are using it every day across the nation. It's specifically for that because what's, what happens is you have a family now who maybe used to go volunteer somewhere who now needs food and they don't know where to go. So they can open up this app and see, Hey, where can I get food today? But it's the connectivity of those agencies. It's the connectivity of those organizations. that's so very important right now. Um, you know, most nonprofits in most cities do not function well together for some reason. Uh, you know, they all believe, well, we invented this and no one's doing it better than us. And no one's ever, you know, no one's ever been under a bridge and talked to a homeless person before. I invented it and it's changing lives. Um, you know, we've, we've got this arrogance about us. And then, you know, sometimes they get a little competitive and, you know, well, we're doing outreach better. We're serving food better. Well, but we see when we do it, we pray for people. So it's ministry because, you know, our prayers are better than the church down the street's prayers or something silly. And bringing those agencies together, collaborating together, because unfortunately the body of Christ can be the most dysfunctional body on the planet. Mm. Um, you know, bringing those groups together with, with business people that will step up. And, you know, for example, if, if you're listening to this and you're a board member of an agency, go meet board members of other agencies, take them to lunch and figure out how you can help 
bring organizations together. Because I tell you, the leader of those organizations are so busy leading that organization, they don't have time to go network. Because right. if they're networking, they're not, you know, doing as much as, as their team needs them to do right now. The, the time requirement for people that work in nonprofits, they were already busy. It's, it's, it's crazy now, right? And it changes daily. And the necessity for us to network and bring those people together. So people that are listening to this, you're a pastor at a church, you know, you're an elder at the church, you're a deacon, or you, you know, just serve in the church in some way. Um, find ways that you can connect these agencies together. You know, for example, one agency may have too much of A and need, and, and need B, and the other one has too much of B and needs A. And it could be even bringing these organizations together to work together under one roof. You were talking about during Katrina, you know, it logistically bringing a couple of people to, to an office. It might mean in some towns and some cities taking the entire poverty task force of this agency and this agency and this church and now building into one poverty task force that logistically and structurally can be a lot more effective together. Um, you know, the, the needs are going to be nationwide here, right? There's not a corner of our country that's not going to be affected by poverty right now. And so the, the churches, the body of Christ, really need to step up in, in bringing those groups together. So, so what can you do? You can ask agencies how to help, but you also can try to figure out how to, how to serve in a leadership role, right? Um, I don't need people to come volunteer and say, hey, I want to be on your board. Um, I love board members. I love our board members. They're awesome. Um, but we don't want to put 50 people on our board, but I do need people that can come up here and just say, Hey, what can I do to help? Can I start making calls for this and that and the other, um, you know, Reed when he moved into their facility, which is actually down the street from us. Um, we, when we moved here, there was no internet in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's no pizza delivery in the neighborhood. There's no, a lot of things here. One of the funniest things is, is we're one of the Dallas morning news charities. They don't deliver the paper here. And, and we're like less than a mile away from the Dallas Morning News headquarters. Um, you know, there are areas in your city that have abject poverty and working with your local um, law enforcement, work, working with your um, city council. I was talking to a mayor of a city recently and she said, well, how do we know where poor people are? And I said, well, you know, you've got someone in your city that's handing out eviction notices, right? That's a legal document, right? You have a list of homes that are being evicted right there. You don't have to hunt for them. Um, and then w- with our app, uh, you know, a lot of people are reporting where uh, homeless folks are. They're reporting need. Uh, so we built the app originally for you. You know, you're driving down the road. You see a tent in the woods. You know, you park in the parking lot and take a picture of that and report it to us. Our teams will go to that spot. But now we have homeless folks all over the country reporting themselves. You know, yesterday hmm. uh, our team got a message from someone in Huntsville, Alabama. It's uh-huh. a mom with a newborn baby and she's getting evicted out of a motel because she can't afford what can she do. Right. Uh, and we get this story all the time of people getting evicted or people struggling and they're reporting themselves. And we've kind of built a little bit of tool so our team can, to, can connect to them through the app, but really we need to connect them to an agency in Huntsville. We need to connect you know, the person in Tampa that's, that's homeless and their kids are living in their car with them to an agency in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, anybody listening to this, I, I would encourage you to figure out ways that you can connect directly to uh, people in poverty and people in need. And they probably are not going to come knocking on the door of your church right now because, again, they're trying to survive. Uh, you need to figure out how to knock on their door, how to go to their neighborhood 
you know, how to see how your church can serve them. And also, I'm going to steal a phrase I heard from a really wise man once. He said, put the cookies on the lowest shelf, <laughs> right? Your dad used to say that all the time. Yes. Um, how do we make the process to get the resources people need easier? Not yeah. with a 40-page questionnaire, but how do we make it easier for them to get the, the necessity stuff? Because sometimes, you know, it, we make it so difficult that nobody can, can fill out the form or no one can go through the process. You know, obviously, there are people that take advantage, uh, uh, you know, of, of good work. But right now, right now, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to, to give and support and to love people well. Well, I was going to ask, I think, you know, what holds a lot of uh, middle class Americans back from, you know, serving a homeless person is that fear of I'm going to get ripped off here. And uh, I, I think what I hear you saying is, uh, you know, that that risk is always out there. But right now, it's actually minimized. Most of the people you're dealing with are on the margin. And they're like that lady from Huntsville. She she wakes up with a baby and no place to live. And she's just like, God, I got to do something. You got to do something. Help me. And And, oh, well, here's an app. Let me see. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. But it's all I got. And someone in that moment, uh, you know, I was reading through the book of Habakkuk this morning with one of two of my sons. And the first part of the chapter, he says, man, this world is falling apart. It's terrible. God, are you going to do something? Mm. I mean, he could have, you could have written that today, right? Um, someone in that moment is mad at God. I've been praying God will fix this and he hasn't. He's ignoring me. So he either must not like me or he's not good or he's not there, right? They don't need another church to walk them through the four spiritual laws. That person has trusted Christ three times a week for the last eight years to get whatever someone's handing out for free, right? right? Jesus said, go and make disciples, growth, right? right? Not, just, not just getting people to, to, to say a prayer. They need long-term relationships. That mom with that baby doesn't just need someone to fork over cash for a hotel room. Mm. She needs a community to come beside her maybe for the rest of her life, right? Okay. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, what we need, we value these long-term relationships. People in poverty are just like people not in poverty, right? They all need uh, long-term relationships. And God has created us just for this moment. Hmm. It is, it is this moment here that God created the church and brought it together for this right here, right? For such a time as this, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we forget 2, 10, you know, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, right? It's this moment right here. Why is this guy born blind? He was blind so that the glory of the Lord could be revealed. Right now, there's a moment of poverty in our nation so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed in the body of Christ, and, you know, it, it, the opportunity here is to love our neighbors well and to be the hands and feet of Christ and not just the mouthpiece, right? And, yes. and the body of Christ needs people to do more than just click like or share something on Facebook, you know, but to actually physically be out there and engaged and involved. And, you know, maybe you have a nonprofit that today you can go to their Amazon wish list page and just buy them some resources if you can't go there. Uh, or maybe you can run an errand for them that they can't run. You can just do it in your car and you can put your mask on and, and stay isolated. Maybe at your church, you could get a list of people's names that you can just call today on the phone and say, hey, how you doing, Bill? I want to pray with you. How's your family? How are your kids? And, you know, do some pastoral care over the phone. You know, maybe you can clear out some of your things in your closet, in your pantry, 
and give them to your church. One of the things you you mentioned about giving money away, I still am completely against panhandling. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you what to do. But I would encourage people to not give cash directly to a person. Um, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Not that you gave me a few bucks to appease your conscience and, right. and you know, roll up your window and go to the next spot. Um, you know, so many illustrations in the Bible of people being blessed through generosity. The, the Apostle Paul, the only time he ever raised money was, you know, to feed the poor because of a famine in Jerusalem. And they had to raise up deacons in the book of Acts to pass out food, you know, passing out real needs and maybe even specifically through a uh, qualified organization that can use it with accountability as a relationship tool. So the only reason we do showers here and laundry here and clothes here and food here. Um, it's not bait, but we do it as a relational tool. We right. do it as an opportunity to show the love of Christ. One of our values here is dignity. And so, you know, the way we measure what we do is would your mom, would your mom eat that? Would your mom wear that? Would your mom use the bathroom in that condition? You know, we need right. to clean it up a little bit better. And so we want to love people with the best we have to offer. And we want to give it to them in an accountable way. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, our moment here. Uh, I, I would, for our listeners, just want to highlight that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Wayne. I've asked this of a number of people, and I have yet to have anybody contradict me. I think you'd actually have to go back to the, to the flood to find an event that has impacted the entire world and its population uh, so dramatically and, frankly, so suddenly in literally a matter of weeks and brought the world and, you know, at least half its people, if not the majority, uh, to a standstill. I mean, we, we talk about the word unprecedented, but the, the, to this scale, I, I can't think of anything else that quite rivals it uh, except the flood. And, and that means we're in a historic moment here. And in part, that means we're all kind of having to make things up as we go along because we've never really faced something of this scale and magnitude before. I, I Maybe I'm just an optimist, but I, I tend to think this is a moment to rise to. This is the moment God has given us. You know, this did not take him by surprise, and he knew this was coming when he put each of us that's currently here on the planet. And you know, I like to think that I could look back on this this uh, pandemic with some sense of joy, if not pride, in well, here's what I did to address it. You know, here's was here's how I seize that moment. Here's here's how I use the gifts, the resources, the relationships, the access, and so forth that God had given to me. That when that time came, yeah, I had needs, and I I took my I did what I tried to do, could do to meet those needs personally. But I saw so many other needs, and I said, okay, i got to do something. God's put me here for a reason right now to address some of these needs. And, and so what am I going to be remembered for? What am I going to remember looking back on the, the great pandemic of 2020 and, and how God uh, stirred in my heart to do something and not just binge watch on, on TV you know, to get through it? Yeah, I... I want to say that's kind of the reason why we started our calling. I can't unsee what I've seen and I had to do something. Um, You know, we went around to every 
organization in the city that worked with the homeless community and said, hey, we want to do evangelism, outreach, discipleship on the streets, not just in your shelter, but, you know, the people that can't get in the shelter. And we got a ton of pushback and a lot of even comments from Jesus-loving folks that, uh, you know, were, were, were really pretty uh, you know, challenging theologically on, well, they just can't be helped, you know, kind of things. And, yep. um, you know, we're kind of drawn to the hard thing and you, you get to a point in your faith where you've recognized that God created me uh, to do something and I have to do this something. Um, you know, it's, it, I always I tell my boys, they ask me how I knew that my wife was the woman I wanted to marry. And I said, well, it's not because I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. It's because I recognized at a point that I could not spend the rest of my life without her. Mm. Mm. Right. And I think that's this very much the same thing in ministry with the calling. It's not that I want to do this. It's that I can't not do this. Exactly. Right. I cannot spend the rest of my life doing A. I have to do B. I cannot survive. That's what God created me. And for some people, that means they turn down a better job or they make less money or, you know, they their family calls them crazy, right? Because we've all been doing that. I have someone on my staff who's a medical doctor, gave up the entire practice and come, come to serve and work with homeless folks and really isn't practicing medicine here at all. Hmm. I have another one that used to be an assistant district attorney, very successful uh, uh, attorney, gave it up to be discipling homeless men and women. You know, we, we've got so many folks that have decided, and this is just true in ministry wherever you are, I would say this is true of every faculty member at DTS. They could all get paid a lot more work than anywhere else. Um, they're there because they love the Lord and the Lord has gifted them in a unique way. And it is in that space there that they can use that gift and they cannot not use it. Right. I I think your dad used to say, and I hate to keep quoting your dad, but he used to say, (laughs) he was memorable. Your career is what your career is what you're paid to do. Your calling is what you're made to do. And I believe that we were made uh, to do this. Well, that's a challenge to our listeners. Uh, you know, what, what did God call you to do? What did, he, what did he make you to do and therefore call you to do? And are you doing that? And are you doing that faithfully and, and uh, with intentionality? Uh, Wayne, uh, we, we only have about five minutes left here, but I, I guess I wanted to touch on an issue that um, is, is, frankly, sensitive in our culture right now. Um, natural disasters, including pandemics, um, they always hit the, the poor harder, you know, because the poor are already on the margin and, and it just worsens their situation. So the tsunami, you know, hits the poor and the, and the famine hits the poor and the, the wealthy, the affluent, you know, they have more uh, walls between them and trouble. Obviously, this pandemic uh, is no respecter of persons. And so you've got prime ministers as well as beggars uh, taken down by it. Having said all that, one other thing that something like this lays bare are some of the injustices that have been uh, endemic to our culture. And so in our case, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, a higher incidence, for instance, of the virus uh, and the, the effects of the virus on the African-American community and other marginalized communities. You're, again, seeing close up face-to-face, every day on the front lines, how this works. Um, What's your perspective on that? You know, three months ago, someone might have looked at a homeless person and said, well, you're homeless because you're lazy. 
you're homeless because you don't want a job and you choose to be homeless yeah. and you're living the life that you deserve. Now, today, when you see someone died of, of COVID, you wouldn't say that or someone who's lost their job or you lost your job because you're not smart enough to get one that survives the pandemic, you know, or something foolish like, well, if you'd only taken care of yourself, you would you would be healthy. And I've often even heard a little bit of that static um, from the community of, well, the poor people are getting more sick because they don't take care of themselves. You know, if, if only they'd focus more on taking care of their family, then they wouldn't be dealing with this as much. And the, the, the twisted mentality that that brings, uh, you know, ignores the reality that when you're poor, you can't stop and go to the clinic, right? right. You can't stop and take your kids uh, in, to the park and hang out with them more because you're working three jobs, right? You, you, you've got these communities that don't have medical services. They just don't. I mean, I, I joked about when we moved here, we didn't have internet in, in this whole neighborhood or the, the paper wouldn't be delivered. There's still places in South Dallas that don't have running water. Mm. There are places in South Dallas that, you know, the police don't want to go because it's so bad. There are places where there, there is no clinic. There is no testing. The city keeps saying, well, we're opening up all this drive-through testing. Well, that's great if you can drive. <laughs> if you don't have a car. Drive-through, yeah. you know, requires you to be able to go there. And, uh, you know, it's just not possible. You know, why, why we're not going to these extremely infected zip codes and neighborhoods and sitting up in their parking lot, um, an opportunity for the church to be the hands of Christ. I'll tell you, one of our church partners, uh, because their clinics are were shut down with some of this, they've actually come out here now and they've set up a portable clinic in our parking lot. That's and they're now providing medical services here because they realize those who have needs can't always go there. Right. And yep. our poor community you know, Dallas, in every city has a history that's ugly often, and our whole country has a history that's ugly of, of you know, disenfranchising and taking advantage of people and abuse and, and all these, you know, civil rights, you know, issues that are not um, ignored and are still here and still have repercussions and you still have scars from it. And the church needs to do the reaching out part. The church needs to be the going first part. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. We have to go and pursue them in the incarnational way that he came and pursued us. You know, we have to go the extra mile. We have to be able to give more to a poor community. We have to be able to serve more than we do a wealthier community uh, because they are in a vacuum. They're in a desert. You know, you, you wouldn't go to a person that lived in a desert all of his life and, and tell him, hey, you big dummy, why are you thirsty? Well, he's thirsty because he's in a desert. And, and, and so what he needs you to do is show up there with the sustenance that he needs to survive and be the body of Christ there and not to judge them. There's a, there's a quote from a book called uh, Tattoos on the Heart. Excellent book. You should read it. Everybody should read it. It's uh, uh, Father Boyle um, started a ministry in South L.A. to gang members. There's some colorful language in there, but it's a great, great book. There's a quote in there where he says, uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't judge the poor by the burdens they carry. We judge them by the way they carry them. Mm. I'm going to say that again. We don't judge the poor by the burdens they have to carry. We judge them for the way they carry them. And if, if we understood the burdens they were carrying, if we understand the historical and, uh, uh, you know, generational poverty and generational uh, abuse and, you know, generational um, 
you know, victimization that this community is under, uh, it, it would open our eyes and we'd be a lot more sensitive. And frankly, we'd look more like Jesus. Absolutely. Well, the thing I love about our calling is that you're not doing charity, you're doing discipleship. And uh, you're doing exactly what uh, God has called us to do. Um, people can get a hold of our calling, I assume, at ourcalling.org. Is that yep. your website? Ourcalling.org. Thank you very much, Wayne, for being with us today. This is a timely word, but at the same time, it's a timeless word because you have touched on a number of themes here that uh, are going to be in place uh, long after we're gone. The poor, Jesus said, you have with you always. Thank you for being with us on the table. And uh, for The Table Podcast, I'm Bill Hendricks. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Love well.